Welcome. You're listening to Latin Waves with your hosts, Sylvia and Stuart Richardson. Latin Waves is more than just hot rhythms. This is a show about community, about creating a culture that is inclusive and based on fairness. Because everyone deserves dignity, respect, and has something to contribute. A new world is possible, and it all starts with us. You are listening to Latin Waves, and I'm your host, Sylvia Richardson. I'm delighted this morning to be joined by Raul Burbano. He's the program director of Common Frontiers. Welcome to our show, Raul. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure, Sylvia, to be on the show once again. We have talked over the years about Latin America, and today I'd like us to focus a little bit on Bolivia. On November 10th, the Commander-in-Chief of Bolivia Armed Forces, General William Kaliman, publicly told Evo Morales, uh, an elected leader of Bolivia, that he had to resign. Now, many people dis- you know, simply see this as a, a suggestion. For us on the left, this has been a coup. How would you describe the events and what has ensued since the coup in Bolivia took place? Well, I think it's important to look at a little bit of history since Evo Morales was elected uh, in order to understand a little bit about the coup that took place uh, after the elections in November of last year. And a lot of it stems from, you know, the old traditional ruling class from uh, the eastern part of uh, Bolivia, Santa Cruz, and what's denominated as the Media Luna states, who have never really accepted, you know, the elections of Evo Morales, who use sort of through religious lens uh, to, to denounce, to condemn any of the policies of the Evo Morales government, uh, you know, over the last, you know, 14 some odd years. And so what we see with the coup in November after the elections is just an extension of that policy uh, led by, you know, Camacho and folks from the from Santa Cruz who many people term sort of as a Christo-fascist, like a fascist neo-paramilitary groups that, you know, uh, in 2009, for example, tried to undertake a coup uh, in, in, in Bolivia uh, through armed insurrection who have, you know, uh, always, lead, always tried to lead a secession movement of the Media Luna states against, um, you know, uh, Evo Morales, who see Evo Morales, the indigenous people, the, the, you know, the cosmology, the religion of the indigenous folks as something that's, you know, evil. And, you know, the imposition has been imposed on, on the majority of Bolivians. So, you know, we see that as an extension of that. And so it's not surprising, unfortunately, that what happened in, in Bolivia in terms of a coup, uh, obviously the, the, the police and the military have sided with the right wing uh, you know, elements, the oligarchy in uh, in Bolivia, you know, that kind of tells you a lot where, you know, you really have to be careful in terms of who your alliances are in a country. Although, you know, Evo Morales did some great things uh, in Bolivia over the years, for example, reduction of poverty, you know, a growth rate of, I think, about 4.9% since 2006. You know, economically, the country been doing well. Uh, you know, Evo Morales has also, you know, I guess aligned a little bit too much with the you know right wing sectors, whether it's the you know the agro businesses in in the Media Luna states. He did lose a re- the, the the election referendum right in 2016 to you know to modify the constitution so that he could run again. Uh, many people in Bolivia felt that you know he shouldn't run again. He lost that by a small margin, 
uh, and then he went to the constitutional court and, you know, had that changed uh, legally, of course. But still, it shows that, you know, the policies of left-wing governments also sometimes can work against them. So it's important to understand some of the contradictions in a government like Evo Morales, who is a progressive government, who is a leftist government, but at the same time has become a little bit too cozy with the traditional oligarchy and the right wing in the country in order to you know, continue with the strong economic policies uh, to continue, in some extent, privatization of uh, national resources, which often goes against what Evo Morales stood for, which is, you know, resource nationalism. Um, but, you know, we, we saw, for example, the, the privatization of, of lithium, uh, you know, and being given concessions to German multinational corporations for lithium development. Those kind of things uh, did anger some of the base of Evo Morales who believe that, you know, those natural resources should stay in the hands uh, of Bolivians. Let's talk a little bit about that base. Evo Morales came from the MAS party, the Movimiento al Socialismo, or Movement Toward Socialism. What have we learned, though? Because there were many gains that they made, not just in terms of eradicating poverty, but, um, you know, in ways of introducing us to a new way of seeing society as integrated you know this idea of a pluralism you know this idea that there are many nations within the nation i mean absolutely i think that was a humongous contribution you know from Evo morales perspective in the mass party i was there in 2009 when there was uh, i think the elections for a new constitution or, or passing of the referendum of the constitution uh, that saw for example included you know it, 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 it denominated Bolivia as a secular state, but obviously recognized the plurinational state of, you know, the, the different nations, indigenous nations in in um, in Bolivia. Uh, for example, you saw that the Wipala uh, became a sort of a symbol uh, within the country. Uh, many of the indigenous communities, you know, the Aymara, Quechua, Guarani, uh, were emboldened by this. And you saw, for example, you know, a lot of the women dressed in their traditional poyera clothing in, in, in La Paz. This became a symbol of a confidence, of respect, uh, of, you know, people became very you know, honored to, to, to wear their traditional clothes when something in the past like that had been sort of discriminated and, and seen as negative. Uh, but I think that that rise in sort of, I guess, an indigenous, indigenous nationalism in Bolivia also impacted a counter rise, which it would be, you know, the traditional oligarchies who see this you know, this rise of, of a more liberal, uh, you know, what br- broader sense of view, viewing the world cosmology as something negative and counter to, you know, sort of the traditional kind of neo-Christian uh, beliefs. So, for example, Evo Morales' government also was looking at, you know, legalizing abortion, uh, open to same-sex marriage, rights for LGBTQ folks. And those are seen as as very problematic policies for uh, the oligarchy in, in not only in Bolivia, but in many countries in Latin America and around the world. And that's sort of the rise of a conservative, neo-fascist type of groups that are looking to impose, uh, you know, conservative views, economic, political, and social all around the world. And what we see play out most recently is, you know, at least in Latin America, is what happened in Bolivia. And that's why it's no surprise that the current, you know, I guess, interim President, as you would call it, is is a very conservative, you know, right wing, uh, you know, Christian fundamentalist who, when they took power, the first thing they 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 went into the palace 
with, you know, humongous Bibles saying that, you know, finally God is back. And, and this is what creates a bit of that tension between uh, the traditional oligarchy and the majority of the people in, in Bolivia who, you know, have a much broader sense of, of indigeneity. Can we talk a little bit about the wealth um, fleet that has taken place and that, you know, none of this happened just because people have different religious beliefs or different um epistemological notions about the earth and who God is, but rather the um, also the very clear economic games that imperialism, you know, coupled with colonialism, a settler colonialism, because these are mainly um, the white skin <laughs> settlers who are leading this coup. There's too easy an explanation. They're Christians and the indigenous people are not. And therefore, they're being, you know, th this coup is, is being promoted. Or, and so I, I like to look behind that. I think that there is sometimes we can uh, justify something that should not be justified. Well, I think you raise a good point. I mean, you know, the coup in Bolivia can't be justified by any means. Uh, and it should be condemned and it should be, you know, a key point of mobilization for people in Latin America against the right wing. Like many actions, coups around the world, there, it's not just one reason for these coups. And, and as you pointed out, there are geopolitical, there are imperialists, there are, you know, sort of a racist, there's a religious, you know, component, there's an economic component to all these. So there are many factors that that, that play into what's happening, for example, in Bolivia, in Venezuela, in Chile, where we see a lot of, you know, mobilizations, uh, whether it's against the state or in support of the state, that, you know, we have to take into account. Obviously, one is the, you know, the not so much the religious, but the ethno component, where you have a historical elite who, you know, who are traditionally white and come from a, you know, middle class, upper class, you know, economic sector, which again, you see them it, geographically, it's, you see it in, in the country, it's the Media Luna states, uh, you know, led by places like Santa Cruz, uh, Beni Pando, where, you know, those communities there, the people there have never really accepted that the country has a strong indigenous background, that, you know, there is respect for the indigenous people. I mean, when I was there in 2009, I was in Santa Cruz and I went to talk to people. We were interviewing people on the street and the majority of people in, San, in Santa Cruz uh, were telling us that Evo Morales is indigenous. He doesn't represent the people. He's backward. He's ignorant. So it has an important underlining component, racism and race, uh, in what's taking place. But uh, as you mentioned, there is also a geopolitical component to it where uh, economically, for example, Evo Morales is considered a leftist government and his policies align much more with countries like Venezuela, Cuba, uh, marginalizing U.S. imperialism in the region. For example, they've kicked out, you know, the, the DEA in Bolivia. They've, you know, ensured that, you know, no more military bases go to Bolivia. So they, they have played a key role as part of what the North America, Canada, and the U.S. would consider the access of evil countries, Cuba, Venezuela, and Nicaragua, in order to marginalize uh, multinational corporations, whether they be Canadian mining companies, uh, U.S. companies uh, in Bolivia. And so that creates a, you know, a geopolitical importance. For example, the, the coup uh, in Bolivia was immediately recognized, and, and the government was immediately, the coup, coup government was immediately recognized by the U.S., that's a key example that shows you that the U.S. was clearly behind the coup, was supporting the coup, and today, of course, will benefit from that. The first kind of things that uh, Anis, the interim 
president of the moment of, of Bolivia has done when she took power, as you see, you know, she hardened Bolivia's stance on Cuba, on Venezuela, uh, moved closer ties to the U.S., you know, has severed all diplomatic relations with Venezuela. Re- immediately, she recognized the Guaido government, which is, again, the illegal interim government of Venezuela, which is recognized by Canada in the U.S., uh, aligned herself quite closely to Bolsonaro um, in Brazil, Lenin Moreno in Ecuador. So, you know, it has a clear geopolitical component to it as well. And, of course, you know, that plays into account and why the, an interim government that today, for example, has taken power illegally, unconstitutional, overthrown a democratically elected government, has undertaken repression against peaceful protesters in different cities across Bolivia, who today is committing, in essence, political crimes by trying to uh, ensure that the mass party doesn't participate or has limited political participation in the upcoming elections in May, uh, is completely and utterly supported by, you know, the Western powers, including Canada, who has taken a very moderated stance and says it will work with the interim government in order to bring about what everybody is pretty clear will be unfair elections, uh, up, unfair elections up, coming up in, in, uh, in May. The very fact that a person could stand up and say, I am now the president without having to be elected, and that Canada and the U.S. simply acknowledge this person as <laughs> the new president seems so out of this, you know, like it, we're in some kind of fairy tale or, you know, fictional novel. And it would be comical if it weren't so dire and so dangerous and terrible. Um, we already know that juridical structures are useful until they're not, right? And so when we have an indigenous president who acknowledges that indigenous rights are you know, front and center, uh, then they mean something. But when you have a government that, um, you know, treats indigenous rights as when it's convenient, something that we can do, it it doesn't surprise me that the minute, you know, a a person that's non-indigenous stands up and declares himself president, whether it be in Venezuela or in Bolivia, um, it seems, you know, imperialist governments will fall in line and you know because it upholds their benefits how then do we as um, allies of indigenous people in Latin America allies of indigenous people in Canada uh, contribute or co-create relationships that are based on solidarity that will move us uh, forward despite the repression that is that was inevitable that was expected that we already knew was coming because military coups has been a a thing of our history in Latin America there's been more than 100 invasions by the U.S. Mm -hmm. in Latin America in the last you know 100 years so (laughs) that's not surprising so how do we move forward? Well, I think it's important to recognize that liberal democracies that we live in, whether it's through the judicial system, through the electoral systems, are have limitations upon them. So, for example, you know, whether it's progressive leftist governments or indigenous governments who take power legally through democratic electoral systems, those systems could be manipulated and overturned to ensure that, you know, they are taken out of power, right? So it's important to recognize that there are limitations and in, in, in order for 
you know, to develop a strong basis of support within, you know, each country, uh, it's important for governments, leaders, communities to work together with progressive movements on a global scale. You know, so instead of doing what maybe countries like, you know, leaders like Evo Morales has done, who's, you know, a great indigenous leader who did really well economically for, for the country, but at the same time, he aligned quite closely with the right wing on many issues. He aligned quite closely with international capital in order to continue the extractive projects. And I think it, it goes to show you that, you know, you can't kind of have it both ways. You need to make sure that if you're going to have, you know, a transformative movement, a revolution, whatever you want to call it, you have to do it 100%. You can't do it half and half. Otherwise, you you know, what you, will happen is sort of a, you know, kind of a counter movement or a counter revolution will take place uh, and you will lose support from your base. So I think it's important that, you know, communities work together, linking north and south, east and west in, in terms of, you know, what are the alternatives that people can work with? You know, how to build solidarity with those struggles and even keeping in mind that even, for example, the courts to a large extent are often politicized uh, against communities or, you know, against people who are fighting to protect their lands and their territories. I mean, we see it from, you know, uh, president, former president of Brazil, Lula, who was arrested and charged with, you know, corruption when we when, you know, all of a sudden now that that corruption we find out is completely politicized and he was put in jail to ensure that he can't run for, you know, the elections a few years ago to the Witsuwit'en, uh, the Witsuwit'en people in BC who are fighting for their land and territory and who have won cases in the Supreme Court that recognize the hereditary chiefs, for example, as, you know, the legitimate owners and custodians and decision makers on the land, but yet, you know, other laws will come in and will be trumped by, you know, multinational corporations. So I think it's important to understand that, you know, multinational corporations have way too much influence globally. And that is one of the big fights that, you know, we have to engage in, which is, you know, wrestling control away from, you know, multinational corporations, retaking control of our political, economic and social systems. And, and I'm not just talking about it, you know, during election time, obviously, people need to go out and vote during elections. When we talk about, you know, taking control politically, it means in your everyday sphere, in your community, whether it's joining your your, your school board trustees, which is, you know, you, you know, it's really getting involved on a day-to-day basis to ensure that we're not allowing any space. For example, the privatization of public space is a humongous problem. The, you know, the closing of, you know, public sector worker jobs, those are all important components that little by little we're allowing, you know, multinational corporations and in line, often in line with our governments to shut down those spaces, which are spaces that are important for the commons, for the public good, right? The, the privatization of the environment, water, land. These are key issues that I think we can't just allow multinational corporations to decide what is important. Uh, and then for us to only worry about, for example, elections or only worry about when something bad happens. I think, you know, that's the main component of how we can continue to struggle against the power of multinational corporations who often have hijacked our, you know, electoral systems and our governments. How do we then begin to decolonize our own minds, our own ways of seeing, of being, you know, of going with the rules of the land, even when they're unjust, you know, when the prime minister buys a pipeline to now make it a national project rather than recognizing that they're upholding the rights of a company over the 
the true owners of the land, which I, that would say to win people who said, we don't want the pipeline. And the way they explain it is, oh, it's nothing. It's like a little string over a football field. You know, that's what that scar would be on the land. And the people say here, no, it's more like a razor blade cut against the Mona Lisa. How would you like that? Would you, uh, you know what I mean? It's like it, mm -hmm. the, the one thing... <laughs> It's a significant scar. It's a significant uh, way of diminishing the land, of destroying the land. And one spill, that's all it takes to destroy, you know, so much, um, especially the location of it anyways. In many ways, I think, whether we are in Canada, whether we are in Latin America, the problem is we too, our minds and hearts have also been colonized. We accept the simplistic explanations. Well, he did that, so he deserved to be removed. But we wouldn't accept that if it was happening in, in a first world country. You know, if it was in the States and some and Bernie just said, you know, the people like me better. And so I'm president now. You know, no one would say that that was right. And yet when it happens in Latin America, you know, people just, oh, that's what happens there. That's how the people there act. How do we un unravel that and recognize our own entanglement in the way things unfold? And how do we move our society in a way that is more open and, you know, awake to what we are co-creating? It's, it's a good question. I think there are, you know, there, there are many ways in which we can do that. Uh, as you mentioned, you know, colonialism uh, and imperialism take many forms. Uh, it could be gunboat diplomacy, as you mentioned, with you know, military, and we've seen that it does take place, in, for example, in the Mideast, less, less in Latin America, but obviously, you know, in Iraq and Afghanistan, you know, there is, and today against Iran, there is the legitimate threat of, you know, war against countries. Uh, you know, in Latin America, what we've seen a bit more on that is sort of the hybrid wars, whether it's sanctions that are killing the economies and killing people on a regular basis in order to achieve a political goal, uh, whether it's the media, which is, as you mentioned, misinforming a lot of people, whether it's the way our educational system has kind of brought us up. But there are many facets of colonialism that we need to be aware of and we need to be able to deconstruct uh, in order to understand what is going on. And in order for us, I think, to do that, you know, we have to look at all all those facets. So how, you know, inequality and poverty, violence against women, violence against indigenous communities, violence against communities of color, immigrants, all these sort of policies that have been embedded in our system as, as legal, as, as normal, uh, we, we have to recognize those as part of the larger, you know, capitalist and peerless uh, form of oppression. Uh, which is all linked to, you know, um, in, in colonialism and changing that, you know, struggling against that, fighting to ensure that we're not just against, you know, this or that, but that we understand and we recognize, we make links between, you know, protecting the environment and supporting indigenous communities who are who are protecting their lands, because in many cases, they are on the front lines to protect the land and the environment. And obviously that benefits all of us. So I think the most important thing for us to do is to draw links between all these different issues, right? The violence against, you know, indigenous women and girls across Canada um, is something that you know wouldn't be accepted if it was, you know, any other type of group, right, within our country. If there was, you know, a lot of white women were being killed like that, we would probably have, you know, massive 
police mobilization to end that, but because they are, you know, indigenous women or they're women of color, then it's, you know, they seem to have a less value in a colonialist, a racist society. So I think it is important to draw the links for what's happening around the world. And as you, as we see sort of the neoconservative uh, movement on a global basis uh, move in, because we are, I mean, the capitalist model and, and the colonial system is in crisis, whether it's environmentally, uh, economically, socially, uh, from a value perspective, it is creating a void. Uh, and often that void can be filled by something that's progressive and beautiful and, and forward looking, but it can also be occupied by, you know, uh, darker sort of, you know, right-wing forces that are willing to destroy. I mean, we see it across Latin America, whether it's in Chile, in Ecuador. People, are, uh, you know, have been mobilizing and rising up against sort of the neoliberal policies of a conservative uh, governments, you know, for a while now uh, in Colombia as well. And that void can be filled relatively easy by negative forces. So I think it's important to recognize how all all these things link in together. And once we draw links within those movements, within those issues, then I think we have a broader picture of what is going on and what we should be challenging, right? So then we know that, you know, let, to deal with the systematic issues that are impacting us as opposed to just trying to put a Band-Aid solution on issues that are impacting us. You're right to point out that in Latin America, there is a new wave of, you know, resistance un unleashing. And we see it in Ecuador. We see it in Haiti. We see it in Colombia. We see it in Chile. Um, we see the people in Venezuela, you know, standing against an attempted coup that's been going on for over a year, for a year now. And, and we see the people, you know, refusing to simply lay down and be abused. Your organization does a lot of work to connect to these issues. How can people learn more and uh, co-create with you? We normally do a lot of educational events, you know, across the country. Uh, for example, in May of this year, we plan to do a large peace forum in Ottawa uh, with a large focus on Colombia. And we'll be bringing up, uh, you know, activists from indigenous uh, and Afro-Columbian communities to talk about sort of, you know, how we can strategize as activists, as academics, as, you know, political actors who want to work together to bring around change and, and to create spaces of convergence. Uh, for example, we're also looking and talking to people in different parts of the country around, you know, many uh, social forums or, or small spaces of gathering where we can interchange um, alternatives, share ideas, what's working, strategies for resistance, strategies for supporting each other, uh, which are key because really the, the communication and dialogue, which often doesn't happen in our society, we're often isolated and focused on our own individual struggles, doesn't allow us to come together enough and to share and to you know build those ties that we need in order to draw that interconnections between our different issues. So part of the goals we're trying to do is to build the interconnectedness within you know Turtle Island, within Canada, within the regions we're in, uh, you know, with a north-south sort of vision where we can share and, and not only be in solidarity with people in the global south, but we also need solidarity from the people in the global south. For example, just recently, uh, Lula. The former president of, of Brazil, you know, tweeted a support uh, for uniform workers who were on the picket line in Saskatchewan, uh, you know, against the co-op, right, who, who, who are being, you know, oppressed by the, the police in many cases or, you know, a high level of repression against communities. Uh, you know, those are the kind of links we're trying to draw between different communities. 
uh, as well, for example, the UDAP community in Ecuador, which is the union of people impacted by Chevron Texaco that represent about 30,000 indigenous people in Ecuador who are fighting against the destruction of their community of the Amazon through pollution of pipelines, were recently in solidarity and sent solidarity message to the Witsuwit'en people in BC who are also fighting the the pipeline. So it's building that type of interconnectivity, uh, building those spaces of connectivity, of convergence, which is most important for us because, uh, you know, the time is now to, you know, to kind of lead that fight to protect the environment, to support indigenous communities, to support communities that are fighting for justice, you know, uh, um, on a global scale. And we can only do that if we come together, understand and build those close ties, uh, you know, so you can see some of that information on our website at, you know, Common Frontiers. Uh, you can link to us through Facebook, Twitter, uh, and link through any of the large initiatives that we'll be rolling out over the 2020. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you very much uh, for having me. It's a pleasure. Take care. We've come to the end of our show, Latin Waves. Latin Waves is an internationally syndicated weekly program made available through campus and community stations and available out to the world at www.latinwavesmedia.com. Visit Latin Waves Media to hear previous shows to access resources or support our efforts towards social change via community project engagement.